are back. Thank you guys for tuning in to the exciting and thrilling finale of Views from the Back of the Class Season 1. This is part two of our episode discussing the psychology of Batman. JB and I appear to be on somewhat different pages, but that's just for your benefit. I mean, it happens sometimes because I'm right and you're not. <laughs> that's just how it goes. <laughs> I don't think that's what's happening at all. I think... Um, We'll let the people decide. I think we both have good arguments. We're both on different sides of the argument. I think we both agree that Batman's kind of nuts. You know, you would ask me why I don't believe that the Joker and Batman have to coexist or that one can't exist without the other. So we're going to wrap up the conversation. The thing with Batman and the Joker is that, for one, the Joker isn't the reason why Bruce Wayne became Batman. Now, I know a lot of people say there's a cause and effect, you know, or escalation. A lot of people will say that looking at Gotham, things got worse after Bruce started patrolling the streets as Batman. You have major criminal elements popping up, major syndicate happening in Gotham now, and more masked crazies, I'll call them, um, like your Professor Pigs and Scarecrows and Two-Face, even though it's not a mask, and the Joker, it's, the list can go on and on. And I understand that, but even without those elements, even without, you know, the Scarecrows and the um, Professor Pigs and the Jokers, I still think that Batman would still be Batman. And I say that because... But his fight isn't only against the Joker, it's basically against any criminal element um, that is uh, a danger to society. So whether he's fighting against the Joker or fighting against someone else, he's going to oppose them. Yeah. Now... Batman doesn't need the Joker. Um, I don't think that they're a yin and a yang. Maybe some writers like to, you know, take that position. But ultimately, the Joker is just a villain. He's not Batman's motivation for fighting crime. He's taken a course that Batman hates and that he's sworn his life to defeat. So if the Joker weren't there, if the Joker were locked up, if the Joker died, whatever it would be, Batman would be fine. He would go about his life and continue on with his mission. I agree with that. But I mean, I, I guess that's the point that I was making is that I don't think that they they need each other or the idea that they are these mirror images. I guess in some ways you could say that, but I think it's more from the Joker's perspective that he needs Batman and Batman just needs something. It doesn't have to be the Joker. Right. He's definitely the cause of escalation. So I would say that. You know, Batman created the Joker, not the other way around. Really? I kind of disagree with that, but I'm listening. Yes, I would absolutely say that. He's nuts. Like, the Joker is nuts and psychotic and a serial killer. All of the things that we've come to know and love and fear about this character. But I don't think you get that without Batman. I think that he continues to be a criminal and perhaps is still a serial killer but without the theatrics i think you know batman doing what he does the way that he does it leads to all of these other um his entire rogues gallery being you know being nuts you know if you take a psychologist it, it could actually be a pretty interesting study to go over the rogues gallery and and have someone you know, who's much more trained than you or I actually do like diagnosis of these characters. It could be something interesting to that, because if you look at the other rogues galleries that we know of, 
uh, like the Flash, for instance, or, you know, Superman's characters, they're villainous, but we don't think of them as, you know, mentally unhinged necessarily. And I think that's a direct response to the type of justice that Batman doles out in Gotham. I don't know. It's really hard to say, like with the Joker, we know he has mental issues. We know he's, I won't say insane because insanity is not a clinical term. It's actually a legal term, but we know that he's mentally disturbed and we know that he <laughs> causes mayhem and he's, he murders people and he does all these terrible things. And the reason being, and I can't say it's solely just because Batman is in Gotham. I think no matter if you take the Joker and you put him in Star City or you put him in Metropolis or you put him in Smallville or you put him in the Fortress of Solitude, he will eventually cause some mayhem or some uh, havoc wherever he goes. Now, yeah, he, Batman may make him up the ante a little bit, but the Joker's he, he's he's a lunatic. And I do agree with you about Batman being more the Joker's muse than, than vice versa. Because like I said, if the Joker wasn't on the scene, Batman would not, he wouldn't be any different. He'd still be the same. He'd still be patrolling the streets and trying to keep Gotham safe. But you know what's interesting too about Batman's rogue gallery is that there was a psychiatrist or psychologist who was talking about how some of the uh, characters are actually different facets of Bruce's personality or kind of what may have happened if he went wayward. Um, you look at Mr. Freeze, genius intellect, you know, and he, he's turned to crime. The Penguin, who, depending on how it's written, sometimes he's from, you know, wealth. Sometimes his family no longer has money. They squandered it or they've lost it. But the Penguin has a you know, wealthy background. He's turned to a life of crime. Even Two-Face, you know, he was on the side of he was on the side of the law to begin with, and then he turned to a life of crime too through different events. So I think it's interesting how um, these characters, if you kind of look at it, you can kind of see, you know, <laughs> what would happen if Bruce went wayward through you know his rogues gallery. So I don't know if that was intention or not, but. It's interesting. I can see that. I think those are connections that were probably made later, though. I really don't. No, right, right. Think that when these villains were created, that they were created in that way. Yeah, that probably wasn't the original intention. It just kind of worked itself out that way. Right. I mean, it, it becomes confirmation bias. We see Batman this way, and then we also see these characters, you know, taking on similar traits. So we make the connection that may not have actually been there. Because even Batman, you know, in his, in in the beginning, uh, really, up until we got uh, the Dark Knight from from Frank Miller, we really didn't see Batman in the same way that we currently see him. You know, he was a legitimate hero and almost a little Boy Scoutish, the same way Superman was. Yeah, that's because the fifties and the sixties, and some of the seventies did terrible things to Batman. I mean. There's just no reason to have a bad dog or a bad horse or all those other freaking animals that they gave him then. So it's they did terrible things to Batman. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. But once we got, you know, the Dark Knight series with, with Frank Miller and what he did with Batman in that and that then becomes the way we see this character from that point forward. You know, he is the Dark Knight. Right. And even in like the animated series, for instance, which is probably the lightest take on Batman, still pretty dark. Mm -hmm. 
dark and freaking fantastic. But no, I know what you mean. It is um, a lighter version of Batman, even though I think it's the storylines are, you know, one of the greatest cartoons of our era um, and also one of the best representations of Batman. But, you know, looking back to, it, like I said, the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, Adam West, um, they were fun and everything yes. like that. But the, the, those writers at that time did terrible, <laughs> I hate to say it, they did terrible things to Batman. Adam West's Batman should never have been a thing. If you look back at some of the older uh, Batman issues, he's smiling on the cover. And even going back to the Bob Kane days, I believe, um, he was always kind of a brooder. Yeah, they had that, you know, old time humor and things like that in the in the comics. But overall, Batman was still a darker character than he, he turned out to be in the, you know, the 60s and 70s. And when he became kind of like a campy character. Now, the Joker, it's again, I, I can see the argument that he uses Batman as, as his muse. But also, I think even without Batman, he would still be this crazy guy like i said before if you put him in any other city he would still be the joker he would still cause mayhem he would still murder people he would still bring chaos whether you have batman or not because that's just who he is he's just a freaking garbage human being you know and he just wants to bring misery to other people like i don't believe he goes through all those antics just for the benefit of batman for example, you know, not that I <laughs> that I want to, you know, talk about things that happen in the real world, but um, if you look at instances of, oh, I hate to call them this, but I'll say this, well-known serial killers, you know, they weren't just taunting uh, the police for the sake of being able to show them like, hey, look, this is what I did, right? I did this stuff. It was more of a taunt of, look what I did. I'm so smart. There's nothing you can do to stop me. I can do this right in your backyard, or I can do this wherever I want. It doesn't matter who you are, or that you're the police, or you're the authority. I can do it. I'm just drawing light to it to show you that I can do it, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. And I think the Joker takes a similar stance with the things he does. Not because he solely wants Batman to, to see what he's doing, or <laughs> be like, hey, Batsy, look, look what I'm doing. It's more so, he's like, hey, Batsy, look, I just killed 10 people. And you can't do anything about it. And you can't stop me. And I'll kill ten more. I think it's that kind of a taunt the Joker has with Batman. Nah, I would say that he does it totally for, for the benefit of Batman. I, I mean, yes, he's psychotic and he would be a criminal, but it wouldn't be the same theatrics. I mean, the example that you're you're using with, you know, real world people. Yes. You know, the typical shoplifter or. You know, even say a drug dealer or a gang member or whatever, you know, they're not committing these crimes with the idea of getting caught. But when you get into the heads of people who've done some really disturbing things, a lot of times it is to get the attention of the media or the local police or some sort of authority figure. They're looking for the attention, which is why they've done the, the crimes in the way that they do them. A person who doesn't want to get caught. It's not going to be flashy about a crime like you do it in the dark, you know, in the corner, in the back somewhere. But when you're doing it for the attention, you do it in such a way that you're going to get the attention that you seek. Again, I think the antics are not taunting for attention. I think it's taunting to show what they can do. And I guess you could argue that it is related to, you know, attention seeking and things like that. 
but it's also showing people just how powerful, what you're capable of. Um, for instance, uh, the BTK killer, and I'm not an expert because, right. you know, I like sleeping at night. <laughs> okay. He was caught because he was taunting the police. They told him that if he communicated with them with a disc, that it wouldn't be traceable. And he believed them, and that's how he got caught. <laughs> but he wasn't taunting them over the years to leave breadcrumbs back to himself. He was doing it to brag about, you know, how smart he was and that he can get away with certain things. I know that's, you know, he's a, this is a real instance. It doesn't necessarily apply to comics, but still that element of taunting authority, even though you're going to, people like this, they're going to be bad regardless, whether people are there to watch them or not. They're going to be bad and they're going to break laws. And But at the same time, you know, there may be an element of taunting just just for the sake of it. If you're a car thief, right, whether you're going out and stealing 10 cars a night, it's not going to affect you whether or not the police don't connect them. If they don't connect the crime, that's not going to prevent you from stealing some other cars. So he's still going to do his thing. Well, that's because it's specifically directed at Batman, though. Like he's bypassed Gotham PD. He's like, you guys cannot touch me. This isn't a challenge. But Batman, this is a challenge. And I think it goes beyond the idea of, oh, look at me. I'm, I'm outsmarting you. He's not outsmarting him. But what he's trying to do is break him. Mm -hmm. He's no fool. I mean, as, as nuts as the Joker is, you know, he's not stupid. So he recognizes how easy it would be for Batman to kill him. That's why he taunts him all the time, because he knows that he won't. But that because that's the challenge for the Joker is to get him to the point that he does do that. And I think he wants it to be him to get Batman across the line. Because at that point, you have truly destroyed the Batman. Okay, I'll give you that. But even if he were to do that, he'd just keep going on and raining chaos everywhere. You know, he may take a victory lap or something like that. Well, he'd be dead. <laughs> so ain't no victory oh, laps yeah, happening. Right. But... <laughs> You know, the, the shockwaves of that will resonate throughout Gotham and, and really throughout the in, entire DC community. You know, Batman kills the Joker. This is this is a big deal. This is huge. Oh, for sure. It would be. You know, not only to the to the villains of Gotham, but to the heroes all over. How is he now accepted within that community? Now he changes potentially. Right. I'm 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 going out on a limb here and I'm, I'm certainly taking a tangent but but follow me yep i'm following so you. batman snaps right snaps kills the joker it's a wrap what we end up with now potentially is injustice in reverse instead of it being superman being this authoritarian figure and you know killing criminals and all it now becomes batman doing that all from being pushed too far that was the whole notion of uh, the killing joke it was that same idea. You know, all of us are just one bad day away from being the Joker. And that was his push for Gordon. He was like, I'm going to make, he was trying to break Gordon in the same way that he tries to break Batman. One bad day is kind of what created Batman to begin with. And he took a tragic event. And I mean, I guess you could kind of call it positive. He took a positive return or put a positive spin on it to an extent and became uh, Batman or the Batman. But yes, the Joker is trying to break Batman. Yes, he is trying to taunt him. He is trying to be the bane of his existence. But 
if he accomplishes that, he would not just be like, oh, crap, I defeated Batman. I guess I'm going to go into retirement. Me and Harley are going to go live out on the beach and <laughs> catch fish and all this other stuff. It's like, no, I'm going to move on to the next thing. I'm going to move on to my next, you know, conquest or whatever you want, whatever his demented mind can make up to make up the time. So whether it's going to be, you know, Superman or Wonder Woman or The Flash or Tim Drake's father, you know, it could be anyone in the DC universe or no one in particular or cities or things like that. The Joker is going to cause chaos, whether Batman is there or not. Yeah, Batman makes it fun right now because he, he does pose that challenge. That's it. He's his muse for now. And once that muse is gone, the Joker is still going to be there. But I think that although that is a, a, a logical way to go with it, the comics don't bear that out. Think about all of the times when Batman hasn't been around and how the Joker behaved. Um, think of uh, the one that comes to mind was um, No Man's Land. Oh, man, that when was an earthquake happened story. and everybody was, you know, scattered and. Bruce Wayne was gone. So hence Batman was gone. There was no Batman around for a while. Uh, we really didn't see the Joker right away. So we had these, you know, different tribes led by whatever, you know, whatever group. And we, we started to see these other characters. I mean, the Joker was around eventually, but he wasn't he wasn't fulfilled. He didn't really care. I mean, you could I distinctly remember a conversation between him and Harley like he's just like casually killed somebody and was like didn't care about it. He's like, oh, what does it all mean or whatever? Like <laughs> seriously contemplating life. <laughs> right, yeah, I remember that. He's like, What was me? But then but then Batman shows up or 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 so he thought. But he saw the Bat logo and he perks up and he's like, All right, I gotta come up with something new now. And that's how he ends up killing uh, Gordon's wife was all because of Batman. No Man's Land was so good. Such a good story. It really was. But think about it. Like, so in No Man's Land, the earthquake happened. So basically in the story, Gotham is cut off. So the people who could left the city. So you had the rich people. Bruce Wayne was gone. You had the police who stayed and they were able to protect a few blocks and things like that. But ultimately, resources are all low for everybody. The criminals are still there and some unfortunate people. And I think for someone who thrives on chaos to be surrounded by chaos at the time, he was already in his paradise, so to speak. I mean, he was kind of down because he's already fully immersed in, in the chaos and the, the, the havoc and the crime and everything going on. So that's could be why he was disinterested in life. And that's could be why he didn't have that motivation because he's like yeah i can go out and kill somebody but right at the end of the day it doesn't matter because the guy next to me is going out to kill somebody and then the lady is going to kill somebody or, or things like that or the person that they're trying to kill turns around and kills you so the, you know that could be his motivation or, or his lack of motivation because he is already surrounded by the chaos that that was gotham city and I will give you that seeing Batman or what he thought was Batman at the time uh, motivated him because he's like, OK, now I have because there's no Batman here. Again. So you are right in that respect. Um, and the police at the, that were there, they weren't a real threat to him. Um, you know, they were they were getting their butts handed to him. So that notion of Joker feeling kind of empty without Batman 
keeps coming up. Like that was just the first one I thought of, but that's not the only instance that happened. If you go back to the Dark Knight Returns, it was the same thing. He was, I mean, he pretty much was just he hanging out in a mental institution and he's actually taking his meds. He's not laughing. He's just kind of there because Batman had been gone. No, right. I agree. It's uh, it's it's it came up in Hush, not not in the exact same way where he was, you know, distraught with Batman being gone because Batman wasn't gone. But what he was doing was when he found out, you know, what Hush was planning, he was like, I got to be a part of this. You know, and he was trying to, again, needle Batman to the point that he was trying to get Batman to kill him. He was perfectly okay with dying as long as Batman was the one to do it. Because, again, he knew that he would have broken him. Then that is his that is his thing. Like the Joker sees the Batman as his muse. But I don't I don't see Batman obsessed with the Joker in the same way. I think Batman is obsessed with stopping crime. And the Joker kind of represents that in a lot of ways. But if the Joker was gone, I don't think Batman would have the same emptiness that the the Joker would have the other way around. Yeah, Batman wouldn't have any emptiness. <laughs> I mean, the only emptiness that that he would have is if God, it's so sad. If there was no crime anywhere, like even then, I don't think he would be happy. But no, the Joker definitely needs Batman way more than Batman needs the Joker. Again, looking at his psychology, a criminal is a criminal. You know, a criminal is a criminal is a criminal. So I don't know how he would rank them. But he probably wouldn't view the Joker, you know, at his basis as anything more, any higher than, you know, a purse snatcher. Um, well, maybe that's not fair, but you kind of understand what I'm getting towards. See, the only thing Batman would have an issue with is not being able to be Batman. So whether he's physically unable to do it or... He'd you know, be something doing something, happens, though. You know, there's a utopia and there's no crime. I think that would bother batman way more than the joker not being around the joker no longer being a threat because even if the joker's not around there's still scarecrow and two-face and all these other criminals for him to to go up against and then there's also the local crime bosses and the petty guys and the and the gangs and things like that so um the the only way batman would fall into a depression is if he can't be Batman because uh, like I said earlier I believe that Bruce Wayne or Batman cannot not be Batman it doesn't matter how old he gets until he dies until he takes his last breath he will be Batman as sad as that sounds even if you look at Batman Beyond right he was he was old he was brooding and he was you know a shut-in and all this other stuff um and then Terry came along and he <laughs> allowed him into his fight so again lack of disregard for self and others but anyway i digress i mean batman beyond that you brought up that would that would be something that he was doing or if you look at uh batman and kingdom come when he physically couldn't patrol the streets anymore he had automated robots to do it like he's going to do this even to the point that he can't physically continue to do it like he's so obsessed with the idea of stopping crime that's just it. it that is that's his driving force no right right and it's completely selfish by the way i don't know if it's selfish um yes it is it's is he's trying to fill a hole in his heart you know from his parents death so good comes out of it for sure 
But that's really the origin of it. He's trying to make himself feel better because he feels that he was a victim. You know, he doesn't ever want anybody else to feel that way, but it's more about... Yeah, I don't know if that's selfish. I mean, I think what he's doing is is to prevent other people from from going through the same pain that he went through and and the same loss that he went through. But I think it'd be... (laughs) I mean, I guess the way that you make it sound is like if, if, for instance, you know, the Justice League, you know, were able to actually get rid of crime and there's a utopia, um, it sounds like, you know, Batman would still not be okay with that. Like, he'd still sit around brooding because it, it, it wasn't him. Right. Think about it, though. If you're, if you're obsessed with stopping crime for your sake, right, it's for you to, again, you're trying to feel this hole in, in your life. And then somebody else is the person to do it. You don't get the same payoff. Yes, the crime was stopped, but you didn't do it. You know, in that situation, I think just Batman would just cease to exist. Like he, what else is there to motivate him? What else is there to drive him if there's no crime? I don't think he, he wasn't the one to do it. about it. I just think he would just not know how to live. Otherwise, like he would just waste away. I mean, a lot of what we're reading kind of fits that. And I mean, these are just my own personal theories. I obviously haven't written for them and it's and it's all going to be based on how the writer sees it anyway at any at any given time. Right. But overall, I, I guess I have never thought of it that way. So I won't say I agree with you completely, but I won't say that's a bad uh, position to to have or viewpoint to have either, too. Well, it is your viewpoint, so I can't say that's wrong, but... <laughs> You know, before I was saying that Batman is the true persona and, and uh, Bruce Wayne is the mask. Now that I think about it, and and this is just something I thought of just as we're going back and forth, but, and just hear me out. Cool. But I feel like neither of those are really the real persona. I think, I think what may actually be, and I, don't, I can explain this or hopefully <laughs> um, explain it, but I think the real person might actually be the person that interacts with Alfred because he interacts with Alfred differently than he does with Dick or Tim or Jason or Stephanie or Cassandra. He defers to Alfred. He'll listen to Alfred. He'll tell Alfred things that he doesn't tell his team. Some with Dick, he'll, it's because I said so. Whereas with Alfred, he'll explain, well, he's too young or he's this or that. So, and I just, like I said, I just thought about this, but it may not even be Batman. It may actually be whoever that person is who interacts with, with Alfred. And I don't know if it's because he, you know, father figure or what, but that may actually be the the true personality. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, no, that's definitely, that's definitely wise because Alfred, you know, serves as a surrogate father for him. He was there when his parents died and he raised them essentially. And he's kind of the only person that Batman listens to. And even then, he doesn't really listen to Alfred all that much. But <laughs> yeah, but he but he, he will listen to him more than than others. Oh, absolutely. He's like, nah, I'm going to go and do this. I mean, he'll he'll listen to what he has to say, but he's still going to do what he wants. Right. Because he's Batman. The idea that that is the the actual person or the dominant personality. I think I would disagree with that. I think. What we get in those moments with Alfred is the writer's attempt. I won't even say the attempt. It's the writer's way of showing that 
Batman is not insane. That he actually is in control of all of this and, you know, all the psychological stuff that we've been talking about that obviously a person under these conditions would would suffer from uh, is not actually that. It is just someone who was incredibly disciplined and committed to his mission, but not to the point that he doesn't have control because you see these moments of real human emotion between Alfred and he. I ain't buying it, though. No, no me either. I mean, it, their interactions are different. That's that's all I'm saying is that he the way he interacts with Alfred is totally different than the way he interacts with anyone else. Um, oh, his, absolutely. Whether it's Jim Gordon absolutely. or anyone else, his relationship with Alfred is different. And it could be, you could be right that they're trying to humanize him. And maybe it could just be, you know, the writer's artistic license. But, I mean, I think it's worth looking into because Batman is, it's not a polar opposite, rea- you know, reaction or interactions or things like that. But he does kind of have like a reverence or appreciation for Alfred that may is that isn't as apparent with with other people who he who he deals with you know whether it's you know uh, Dick or Jason or uh, Tim or Damien or you know <laughs> all the other Robins I can't think of them now but I think I got well I'm missing some I think it's just one that's missing two Stephanie and then you got the Elseworlds Robin I forgot her name though yeah thanks I don't know. I I just think the way that he interacts with Alfred is kind of their way of showing. Uh, I don't I don't want to say humanity, but kind of just showing him with the mask off to an extent and with gloves off and things like that to kind of show you who he really is. Like yes, he's still devoted to his his fight against crime, but he's also more yeah human. I guess I I don't know if that's the right word. But it just shows a little bit something extra than what we normally get from from Batman, where he's just very, you know, hard and very cold and very uh, calculating and things like that. And he, he is that with Alfred, too. But there is a softness to him. There is a human interaction with him more so than other people on the team and other people that he that he interacts with. No, I think humanity is is the right word to use there. It is it's that you get to see him as just a man, not this larger than life figure, which is exactly what Batman is designed to do, because ultimately he is just a man, which is why the theatrics are necessary. And what is it? He says uh, criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot. And he plays on that. You know, his that's that's kind of how he has the upper hand is because you're afraid of him long before. You encounter him, especially if you don't really know. And then crap for a while, Batman was just an urban legend anyway. He's, just, he's the boogeyman. Humanity, I think, is is the right one. And, I, I, and again, it, it really does come down to the writer because you see moments of humanity in him in different runs. Most recently, you know, this notion that he was going to get married. All there was right. humanity in that and the way that that worked itself out. Um, I won't spoil any of it, but everything that happened at the wedding, you know, was very much a way of humanizing him. See, I feel like that story arc is is just very out of character for for Batman, uh, for how he's kind of how he's been portrayed historically. Yes and no. It's out of character for the character in the way that we've come to see him. But 
before the Dark Knight Returns, you know, when the or rather when the Dark Knight Returns came out, that was a complete different character than we'd ever seen. Yeah, you're right. So, so to even say that now, you know what I mean? It's just it's in the hands of the writer. That's the problem with with a fictional character and our armchair psychiatry. It's it's all subject to the creativity of whoever is writing them at that time. And they they're only bound by the rules that they choose to create. So it's going to be whatever that that writer wants it to be. I'm just speaking of, you know, if you're talking about what you know of, of Batman from a high level or if you look at his Wikipedia page, um, they're, they're not going to have all these different instances. They're just they're going to have the things that always stay the same, not the things that kind of shift with whoever's writing for the character. But. You know, but again, you know, Batman was a little darker, especially for the time when he first came out. He, the sixties and seventies did terrible things for Batman. Again, Adam West, <laughs> I mean, love him, but that's that's not my Batman. But that shouldn't have been. Well, you know, that's, that's yeah, that's, that's just not a, corny TV that's stuff. Not who Batman is? But the but the the comics were not that way. He still wasn't. You know the the Dark Knight as we know him now. He still wasn't this basically DC's version of the Punisher, like one step away from it. I mean, you have to look at the the, the time period as well. It was comics were still pretty much sold to children at that time, and children were still children then. <laughs> so it had to be a certain aesthetic that came along with that. Uh, they could touch difficult topics but you can only go so far with it Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah no he's taking a darker turn in in the modern days but ultimately what i would say to whomever is it it is an interesting thought exercise and i would i would encourage anybody that you know looks at it whether you're a fan or not it it's it's an interesting road to go down you know just to explore that and see different different ways that writers have approached this character and just the psychological directions that it, that the character goes in and how some of his behaviors actually do mirror different diagnoses. It's interesting. I would recommend, you know, for people who are interested in that, check that out. You know, do 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 a little bit of research on it. And Why I said the wedding was out of character is because ultimately Batman doesn't, perhaps with the exception of Alfred, Batman uh-huh. doesn't truly trust anyone. His marriage to Selena, it I think it's just artistic license. But also too, even you know some writers will portray him as being you know best friends with Superman and this and that. Right. But he doesn't even trust Superman fully. You know he's a loner. He has characteristically, or he definitely hits some of the criteria for antisocial personality disorder. But he doesn't. He doesn't trust anyone exclusively. I think as an idea that's true, or as a general concept that's true but i don't know that it's as um exact as that i think he doesn't trust many people but he trusts his closest allies um i think he does trust superman but he also recognizes that you know he's incredibly powerful and should he be mind controlled or cloned that there needs to be a way to control that that is trust that because it's not it's not necessarily 
Clark. It's that's not trust. I mean, he has plans or he has contingencies to kill Superman if he has to, or eliminate Superman if he has to. That's not trust. Like, look, you, yeah, the power, the power put in in in, a, in a, the wrong person's hand becomes incredibly dangerous. And if I'm aware of this and I can do something about it, it would be irresponsible not to. He has these plans to deal with, you know, his allies. Oh, everybody. And, and, yeah, everybody. But I stand by what I'm saying is that he and that he doesn't trust people because, for instance, a Superman, your example, he doesn't trust Superman to do the right thing. And the reason I say that is because you don't make plans if you trust somebody. If, for instance, if Superman decided like, hey, I'm going to annex Kansas and I'm going to establish my own country or city state or whatever you want to call it. And if you want to live here and be safe and be protected by Superman, come to Kansas, right? Batman would take issue with that. So if you deviate from what Batman feels, you know, where you should, if you step out of line, so to speak, or what he feels, you know, if you step outside of your box, then he will deal with you. And that's that's not trust. And rightfully so, because that's not the role for, for Superman to take. Says who? Says society. Nobody is is in a place to to rule over, you know, one person to rule over everybody in that way. Doesn't history favor those with power? Sure. But the power can come from the collective as well. So I'm just saying if if Superman annexes Kansas and he tells people, hey, you'll have my protection. If you don't want the Joker blowing up your city and you don't want all this foolishness and you don't want your producer dancing in your music videos, come to Kansas. Right. Batman would have an issue with that. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was about to say. That's what you're making him sound like. Suge Knight. (laughs) Yes and no. I think like if Superman ahead, gets tired and, um, you know, he's like, you know, what? forget this. I'm tired of fighting Lex. I'm tired of fighting. I'm just done. I'm going to, you know, make a country and protect it. And, and there would be no crime there. Batman would have an issue with that. Yes. So it's kind of like like with Batman and with trust. It's kind of like, for instance, if I invited you over and I'm barbecuing. Right. And you're like, well, <laughs> you know, I don't trust that, you know, Josh is going to make good food. So I'm going to stop at Wendy's and eat first before I get to his house. That's essentially what Batman does. That's not trust. Right. No, that's a good example because I may or may not have done that to people before. (laughs) There's definitely trust issues there. I just don't think it's as absolute as him not trusting anybody. That's that's the only point that I was making. There are there are exceptions to it. I mean, it's hard to say that there are exceptions because, you know, he's proven time and time again with his his uh, sidekicks that it's his way or the highway. And, you know, these are people who he's supposed to kind of trust with his life. They're supposed to have his back. He's supposed to have their back. But even then, like I said, he doesn't trust them fully. So I still think that's a stretch because I, I would say that he trusts dick grayson completely i'd say that he trusts alfred completely yeah alfred is probably the one person i can say that he definitely trusts the others yeah i believe he trusts them to an extent but not not fully i'm not to the point where he does not you know have contingency plans for him i would even say that he trusts selena he knows that she's a thief so it's not not like, oh, I'm not going to let her in my house because she'll steal from me. It, it goes beyond that. Just the idea that he shared himself with her willingly. 
Like she wasn't going to figure that out. And he told her, he's like, you know, I'm choosing to reveal my identity to you. That's trust. Yeah, he may have chosen to reveal his identity to her. But at the same time, you don't think that as he was revealing it, he was telling her who he was. He wasn't thinking that, okay, if, she, if this information goes bad, this is what I have to do. If this information gets out, these are the next steps I have to take. You know he did. I mean, it's it's tons of tons and tons and tons of material to go over to really do a deep dive into it and, and try to figure it out. Because although, you know, there are several different writers over decades, you do see some common themes there that you can, you know, use to make the basis of an argument. It's so much information to, to look into, just the foundations of his personality to to. to kind of see where he falls and see you know whether you agree with it or not the medical standpoint of of who batman is so jb who is batman who do you think batman is final thoughts batman is a he's a complicated man (laughs) and no one no um (laughs) bats you dang right I'd say that he is uh, a man who has suffered trauma the way many of us have and uh, had the the reach, the resources and the time to reinvent himself to the, the idea of preventing anybody else from experiencing the same type of trauma he has. And we go on a wild ride, you know, watching him do it, but. Ultimately, that is that's it. Just a man solely driven toward his mission, whatever his motives may be. Nice. Well said. Well, thank you, sir. For me, Batman is unfortunately it's not as optimistic, I guess. He's a troubled man who's no doubt affected by, you know, the trauma of seeing his parents murdered in front of him. And he's made life decisions that people would consider questionable. Unfortunately, I'm not of the mindset that I don't see a happy ending for uh, for this character. You know, I, I said earlier that he will be Batman until he dies. As sad as it sounds, he will never have, you know, that happy ending or a happy life or an enjoyable life. And I know me and uh, JB differ on kind of who he is and, and how he treats people and things like that. But I see him as somebody who is all about the mission. I don't see a happy ending because he can't not be Batman. It's almost as if he's possessed. His intentions are almost noble, even. It's almost offset by the psychological issues that he has going on. But he's definitely a hero in my books, and I know it may not sound that way when I talk about certain issues, with it, but he is, without a doubt, a hero. And arguably, and I'm just speaking off the top of my head right now, but arguably, he's probably given up more than uh, most of uh, the heroes that we're familiar with. I mean, he's basically given up on his humanity, which isn't a small thing. And everyone else, they're able to exist with their alter egos. In this case, I don't think that the two, I don't think Bruce Wayne and I don't think Batman can coexist. Essentially, in order to be Batman, he can't be Bruce Wayne. Fair enough. The thing that he's chasing is impossible. So that is that. Man, this was a, a blast. So, JB, any homework for the week? I do, although it 
seems to not really fit with the topic that we were talking about today. If you've not had a chance to check out the documentary, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened? Oh, that was really good. Yes, it is. Directed by the late, great John Schnepp, who you all have heard me speak about uh, on here before. He and his partner, Holly Payne, Schnepp directed, Holly was the producer, but it was a great, great, great documentary uh, about a movie that you may or may not have been been aware of. But what it was supposed to be was a Kevin Smith written, Tim Burton directed, Nicolas Cage starring Superman movie called Superman Lives. And you get all of the kind of behind the scenes stuff, get some concept art that didn't obviously make it into a film because it, the film never was made um but we get to see why it didn't and it, it it's pretty interesting one just because of the subject matter but it's kind of cool to see uh some of the ins and outs of the film industry and you know how you could have a great idea and it gets halted and we get to see some of the reasons why so death of superman lives what happened i have a graphic novel independently published called toolbox it's by um I'm going to butcher these names, but Kyle Nepper, G-N-E-P-P-E-R, and Christian Goodsnook. She's the illustrator. Uh, Kyle Nepper is the story. And this is about, I'll just read the back of it. It says, Robot justice is efficient justice. Toolbox is about a future off-world human settlement that reprograms a construction robot to protect them from bandits and dangerous wildlife in the area. It's equal parts science fiction and Western adventure. At its heart, it's about technology, sisterhood, character, and what it means to be family. And this is something that I picked up in Wizard World Chicago a few months ago, and I got a chance to read in it. It's about 80 pages or so, um, but it was a really good read, really good story, pretty nice artwork. And, um, you know, go check it out. Um, I think you will enjoy it. It's a nice original story by some independent artist and storyteller, so support local. So again, that is Toolbox. That sounds pretty dope. That toolbox, I'm going to have to check that one out myself. Do we have any honorable mentions? Nah, I don't think I have any for this one. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I would use will probably uh, attack next season. I just wanted to bring out that Marie Severin died on August 29th of this year. She was a longtime illustrator, colorist for Marvel Comics and also EC Comics back in the day in the 1950s and she was inducted into the Comics Hall of Fame mm -hmm. in the early 2000s and looking at her biography is that she's worked on some really notable characters during some really notable times during um, the glory days of comic books so to speak. She drew for the Submariner the Incredible Hulk Iron Man, Conan the Barbarian Call the Conqueror, Daredevil she even uh, co-created Spider-Woman, and she worked at a time, too, when, you know, Steve Ditko and a lot of other guys were getting uh, attention. So we just want to bring this up because she's had an amazing impact on the stories that we love to read and the characters that we care so much about. So we just want to highlight the achievements of her career yeah it's important to acknowledge those who i mean these are the architects of the world or, or the sandbox that we play in and it's bigger than just the ones that we know you know we talk about stanley all the time and we talked about steve ditko for a little while uh, on this show but there are thousands of creators not all of whom get recognition that they deserve so 
we'll just do our part where we can to shine a little bit of light on that. Josh, where can the people find you? Follow us on Instagram at ViewsPod or email us at ViewsPod at gmail.com. Thank you to everybody that's been taking his ride with us. Uh, we truly do appreciate you all and got some, some good things in store for you for season two. So stay tuned. And once again, special shout out and thank you to uh, George Reader, Definitely. a.k.a. RevGR33. That's R-E-V-G-R-33 on Instagram. Follow him. Check out his artwork. He's got some pretty dope stuff. Thank you so much.